Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week, we continue our series over the Gospel of John. Enjoy. Okay, so uh, we're working through this section of John 6 and 7, where Jesus is being confronted by people who have their own idea of why he came and what his messiahship should be about. And so we remember the big miracle that he did that was, he had already done some miracles, but this was the big one that he did was in public, and it, in, it affected and benefited 5,000 people, or at least 5,000, we're told. And it was on the heels of that then that this group decided, you know, this is the kind of guy we want to have as our Messiah. Because if he's our Messiah, if he's our king, then we will never go hungry. We will never uh, suffer depravity. We will never be an experience where we will suffer some form of want. And when you think about it from a human perspective, who wouldn't want a king like that, right? Who wouldn't want a Messiah like that? where you would never have to have any temporal difficulty happen in your life and, and, and that he could, he could provide for you whenever you wanted, as much as you wanted. And of course, that's what happened in the feeding, right? The feeding was not just everybody gets a little eyedropper full of food, but rather the Bible tells us that everyone ate as much as they wanted until they were full. So who wouldn't want that kind of king? And so the Bible says that they, were, they immediately began to think in terms of, we're going to take him by force, we're going to make him king. I don't know how they would have done that, but, but anyway, that was their thinking. And from that, then Jesus withdrew. And so now you get this dialogue going on between those people who, uh, the Bible says, believed him, but there is some question about whether or not they believed him in terms of having faith in him or whether they believed in him in terms of, I want to be a follower of the guy who's doing it all for me. And we're going to see later, I don't think it's in this lesson today, but a little teaser for next week, is that we're going to see that there, there is a separation that takes place in the sense that the more that Jesus reiterates why he really came, which is to be the spiritual uh, Messiah, to be the, the Savior of the world from sin and death, that it begins to occur to people that Jesus really meant that. And when Jesus then talks about the idea of suffering, that being a follower of his might also include the idea that people, not everybody's going to like you, and some people might even want to kill you, then we're going to see next week what happens is that a whole bunch of people who were up to that point, his followers, said, I'm out of here. And then it gets back to kind of the basic thing. So we're still in this sort of, this, uh, this uh, part of the conversation or the, the con- confrontation, I guess you could say, that Jesus is having with, uh, with the Jews. Okay, so let's pick it up in chapter 6, John 6, and we'll pick it up with verse 41, uh, 41 to uh, 46. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is, who is from God, that's Jesus. He has seen the Father. Now, what do you make of that first part where it says the Jews grumbled about him? It's kind of interesting what the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, do with that word grumble. So how many of you have ever grumbled? Oh, finally, I ask a question that almost everybody in the room raises their hand and is willing to admit some of you raise your hand higher than others, I noticed that, yes. All right, so what, when, what, when do you grumble? Or should I say, when do you not grumble? Maybe that's the word. But when do you grumble? What, what is it that evokes grumbling in your, uh, 
in your, in your life. When you don't get what you want, okay, that's one, okay? What else? When you're what? Do something that I must do but don't want. Oh, Bev, I just can't believe that about you. <laughs> Bev, you're such a saint. There's no way that that would be true about you. But thank you for sharing that. All right, what else? Things aren't going the way you want them to. Yeah, kind of when you have an expectation, it ought to be this, and instead reality is this, and you're thinking, okay, am I ever going to get what I want? Could you grumble out of confusion? Well, you could, I guess, in some sense of it. I mean, again, the Bible has different words for grumble. There's another word that the Bible uses. I think it's more of a King James word, the word murmur. Do we have any murmurs here? You know, nobody is going to admit to murmuring. Gosh, heaven forbid. All right, so what do we see here is, is it starts out by saying the Jews grumbled about him. And it sort of suggests, at least in this context, that there's a little element of, of disbelief of unbelief, you know, and, and some of it is confusion. I think they're, they're trying to wrestle with the fact that here is this human guy standing in front of him. He has skin and bones. He looks like us. He walks like us. He talks like us, all those kinds of things. And he's describing himself as something heavenly. And part of the difficulty for them was, was that they were all raised and taught by the rabbis who talked about this idea that, that when the Messiah would come, how you would know him to be the true Messiah is that he would offer heavenly bread. We, the word that's used is bread from heaven. Now, what would they be referencing from the Old Testament when they think in terms of bread from heaven? The manna, the whole, that whole Old Testament story. Every one of those Jewish kids, when they were little bitty all the way up, they all had learned about manna from heaven because they all knew the story of the Passover. Because every Passover, then every family would go through this kind of ritual uh, a dinner and, and uh, sort of a liturgy that went with that. And so they all knew about the bread from heaven. But what they had been taught was, was that one of the precursors to the Messiah coming and how you would know that this is truly the sign, the true sign of the true Messiah, was that there would be something else that would be a bread-like stuff that would be sort of materialized and then would be offered to the people, and as they ate of that bread, they would never go hungry. So Jesus comes along, and he says, what? I am the bread from heaven. And they're going, what? <laughs> So, I mean, there is a little bit of human moment there, right? A little bit of kind of maybe disbelief, maybe a little bit of doubt, maybe a little bit of incredulousness, right? And especially we see it in the first part here where, he, where he's encountering people that knew him when he was little. Now, when was the last time you all went home and or were around people who knew you when you were little? Anybody want to? Oh, Phil. Yes, Phil. <laughs> Phil, that wasn't that long ago, though, you know. For some of us, it was a long time ago. All right, so what was, what's that like, Phil, when you go home? And you're around people who knew you when you were little. Oh, there you go, right there. <laughs> a big breath. Okay. And what do they say? I remember you when you were this big. That's right. And so then that sort of is a disclaimer of anything smart you have to say in the present because they say, oh, I remember you when you were this big. This happens to me all the time, too, because whenever I go over to Fort Worth at St. Paul, then I'm hanging around and there's people there that knew me when I was this big, right? And you sort of feel like when that happens, I do anyway, that I have to reassert my credibility in that moment, right? <laughs> it's just hard to overcome that. You just have to do. Now, the advantage for me is that I am no longer working in the church where I grew up. Some of you, some of you are now still in the church where you grew up, right? Yeah, so that can be a benefit <laughs> That can be a benefit and that can be a curse as well, right? Yeah, okay, so it kind of makes sense. How many of you did grow up here? 
besides, oh, Max, you did too. That's right. Your, your family's like one of the original ones, isn't it? Do people ever say to you that they remember when you were this big? They tell me they changed my diapers. <laughs> <laughs> did you hear what he said? <laughs> you, I could not do justice by it. You need to stand up and say that again, Max. You need to. Okay. He said that he said that they tell him that they remember when they changed his diapers. That's what it was. That oh, I don't think I can beat that one. I I don't think there's well, that would be I'd have to go back to Houston to hear that. So I'm not thankfully I will not be going back to Houston anytime soon. Yeah, or they're all in heaven, maybe that's what it is. All right, so 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 there's see they're they're wrestling with this. How can this person that we all knew when he was this big, right? How can we know his parents? We know what, where he grew up. It wasn't even like he grew up in a spectacular family. What, what does dad do for a living? He's a carpenter. And we don't, you know, we're not told that much about Joseph, but you sort of get the sense that he was like this, this laborer guy. Now, maybe he was a small business owner and he had a vast empire, but we don't get that sense, Right. We get the sense that he had this workshop and he would, he would make things for people and then that was how they made their living and that's how they did their life. And it was a great life. It was a safe life for Jesus to grow up in. But, but, but again, there's nothing spectacular about him. Yeah? Was there no one there that said, ah, we knew you were going to be someone special because we saw you in the temple? Kind of like they did you at the church. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they said that about me. Yeah, sure they did. Yeah, we knew. Yeah. Most people, when they meet me, they go, you? <laughs> we remember. Yeah. Well, I, apparently not. Okay? Apparently not. And this is like how many years later? I mean, this, let's just put a figure on it. Jesus' ministry went from 30, he's age 30 to 33. So maybe 31. You know, how many years has it been? And so you do get this sense that... Mixed in with the grumbling is a little bit of unbelief to begin with. And so when unbelief is mixed in there, then you're not going to work that hard to try to change your opinion about him because you've already decided that he isn't the Messiah you wanted in the first place, and partly because he isn't doing the stuff you want him to do. That's the caution for people today. Because the further people get away from the biblical story and the biblical definition of who Jesus is and what Jesus was about, we take him out of the context of why he biblically came and we put him into the context of why we want him to come and the kind of Messiah we want him to be. And you think about that in terms of people today having these expectations about Jesus and about the church and about Messiah and about religion and about all the stuff that goes with it, and they constantly want to impose their own uh, conditions, their own expectations on who Jesus is and why Jesus came. And interestingly enough, when human beings do that, then we end up doing the very same thing that the people did at the feeding of the 5,000, where they said, this is a good deal. We want this good deal to continue. This is the kind of Messiah we want. The Messiah we want humanly will make sure that life is always fair. Right? By nature, right? We'll make sure that we'll never go without. We'll make sure that whatever it is that you're seeking in life, you'll find. Whatever it is that you think is the way things ought to be, they'll be that way. And when something in life happens that doesn't fit with the narrative of what you think it ought to be, then you chuck that Messiah and go find a new one. And that's the way the bulk of the world today thinks. And what I'm saying is, is that the more that we look at Jesus out of the context of the Scripture... You're lifting him out of the way he presents himself and reveals himself to us through Scripture, then what you're left with is somebody's opinion of what the Messiah is and what Jesus was about. Keith, you had your hand up. Yeah, I was going to say, even before that time, nothing good comes out of Galilee. Was yeah. 
and specifically Nazareth, you know, this sort of dink town that, you know, nothing ever good came out of, and, and yet something pretty good came out of that town, right? But again, if that is your, if that's your perception going in, as opposed to a perception of faith going in, then what happens is, is that, as, and we all know this, it's pretty hard to overcome that first impression, right? That first expectation. What's the current thinking about that? How much time do you have to make that first impression with somebody, and then once they've made up their mind about you in that moment, then it takes forever to get, what's it, nine seconds? Is it, what, is it nine seconds? Something like that? Yeah. Okay. So perception is a powerful thing. Now, perception is not reality. Reality is different from, from perception. But if I, if I continually act on my perception, as opposed to act on reality, then, you know, you can see where perception can become reality. So they're struggling with this. So what does he say? Jesus answers them. He says, don't grumble among yourselves. Okay, that would be good advice right there. But then he goes on to sort of talk a little bit about how is it then that you come to know him in faith and how does that all work? And so he says a very interesting thing. He says in verse 44, no one can come to me unless what? The father who sent me does what? Draws him. Now, why does it take the power of God for me to be drawn to Jesus? Why don't I just do that on my own without the power of God? Because we have sinful nature. And so what does the sinful nature do that would prevent me or impede me from being drawn to God on my own? I, I don't know the answer to that. Oh, well. <laughs> so see, that is a good lesson right there. If you, I the answer was right, so I didn't know you were going to make that <laughs> She said that she thought the answer was right, so there was no point in explaining it any further. And you're correct about that. Yes, you're correct about that. Yeah, Bob. Uh, because you're dead in your trespasses, and you're blind and deaf, and you cannot see the kingdom of God without God. That's right, and that is the perfect segue into Ephesians 2, 1 to 6. Thank you, Bob. That was very good. Thank you. We worked that out ahead of time, and that worked perfectly. <laughs> so the verse there that I have is in, in your outline is Ephesians 2, 1 to 6. says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of body and mind, and were by what nature, what? Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were what? Dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the point of this is, is that spiritually dead people have no impulse to be drawn to God in the first place, not in terms of faith. Now, we might be, uh, spiritually dead people might be drawn to God in the sense of uh, something is bigger than me running the world. Have you ever heard something to that effect? People say that. A lot of times in some circles, they'll use the terminology higher power. Often in 12-step uh, ministries, that's, that's used. And it's not offensive. I think in some sense it's just meant to not identify God in, in a specific way that might cause somebody to say, well, I don't want to be in 12-step because, you know, there's just a bunch of Bible thumpers. So they use higher power. But if we understand higher power is talking about the triune God, that's what it's talking about. All right? And so the point is, is that people that are spiritually dead have no impulse to be drawn to God in faith, might be drawn to God in fear, might be drawn to God in, in the sense of let's appease him so he's not mad at us, 
But there's no sense of a relationship there. It's mostly, I just want to get this higher power off my back so that I can have a better life. And so that's why often when you see people, uh, when you see pictures of, uh, of idols and, and other gods that other nations and other peoples uh, worship that aren't Christian, what, what does the image look like? of the God that they're worshiping or the God, uh, the image that represents the God that they worship. What, what, is that, what does that image look like? Is that, it, does it have a smiley face on it? No, they're very, it's very terror sort of driven. It's sort of this angry, grotesque uh, picture of something. And it, it again would be based on the idea that, that uh, because... That there must be something that's causing earthquakes. There must be something that's causing the rain to fall. There must be something that's behind the idea of famine. And so when bad things happen to us, it must be that we messed up. We didn't appease the God. We have to appease the God so that maybe some good things happen instead of the bad things, all right? That's what spiritually dead people do. And so the point that Paul's making is, is that in the same way that physically dead people cannot resurrect themselves, neither can spiritually, spiritually dead people. It's impossibility. But in the same way that physically dead people can be resurrected or made alive through the power of God, and we'll know that at the resurrection, of course we know that with Jesus at Easter, well, that in the same way, that being made alive spiritually is God's work. It's what God does for us, okay? And so that's the point that he's making. And so I, I included in there a little quote from, from your catechism days, Luther's meaning to the third article of the Apostles' Creed. I know all of you have, don't even have to read this. You have this committed to memory, and hopefully it doesn't traumatize you uh, that we would read it again, uh, because you remember when you had to say this by heart up in front of the church, and your dad was the pastor, and it was very embarrassing when you didn't get the words right. Okay, so, so let's read this all together, the, the uh, meaning to the third article. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. So see, it's God doing it, but he does it using means, M-E-A-N-S. And in our Lutheran theology, we call that means of grace, okay, means of grace. So the means that he's talking about here, what is the means by which the Holy Spirit introduces himself to people and then gets in people's hearts and minds and life and all that sort of thing. How does he do it? By the gospel. Okay, the gospel. And what is the gospel? The good news in the word. See? So again, see, as part of this, it always comes back to the idea that you want to keep that word in your life. It's, it's significant. It's, it's not just that you have head knowledge about the word. It's good that you have head knowledge about the word. That's a good thing. But there's a lot of people that have had knowledge in the Word and have absolutely no interest at all in trusting in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. So they, they, they go to the Bible with the idea that this is a fine book of literature. There's a lot of poetry in it. There's some wonderful stories, mythology, symbolism, numerology, uh, blueprint for wealth and health and all those kinds of things. But none of it has to do in their minds with the one thing we need which is salvation by grace through faith. And the assurance that we have God's presence in our lives in this life and that the uh, big one's coming when we get to heaven. Make sense? Okay, thoughts? Thoughts about it? Yes, Tim. Uh, this is a quick question here, Pastor. Oh, kind of when we talk about like uh, people reject God when it's like, well, I thought things were going to be easy. I thought I was supposed to have a prosperous life. Sure. Um, things like that, and when things don't go the way we want, mm -hmm. we grumble. But something I've really kind of been struggling over, maybe you can answer this, is like, are things just like said, like, there, there, I think that there's some people out there that say, like, they always say, God has a plan, and it's almost like the feeling of, has God already, like, planned out my life, and I really don't have a say, and things are going to happen no matter what I do, or what are your thoughts on that? Hmm. <laughs> 
Did you hear what his question was? Want to know about the plan and those kind of things? Okay. Um, that's a great question. Thank you. <laughs> I may end up giving you my opinion about that, but uh, Phil, do you have some thoughts on that? Well, I, from that perspective, I, I just say, well, it doesn't necessarily matter for me whether God knows or not. I mean, I assume that God does know, but I don't know. So it's all new to me. Well, and kind of with that, Phil, I'll say, uh, the scripture says word for word, I forget the exact verse, but it says that God's will for our life is to love God and love our neighbor as herself, yeah. to know that he is the one who came. And so I always tell people, I don't know what tomorrow may bring, I just know, love God, love my neighbor, I'm doing God's will. But I'm always kind of thinking, well, is something around the corner, good or bad, it's going to come swing at me, and then people are going to say, oh, well, God did that, and he has a plan, or it's... Yeah, I think sometimes, I don't know if we would like that or not. Some of us, when we talk about, you know, certainties, uncertainties kind of stuff, the idea that God would have a plan, some people use the word blueprint. I've never been comfortable with that word, but if somebody uses it, I'm not going to, like, punch them out or anything. I just, you know, it just is that, it just is, you know, I mean, some words just, they just kind of don't do that for me, all right? But I get it when somebody says that. Because when you think in terms of a blueprint, that sort of suggests that you would like more certainty in your life, and it's hard to deal with the uncertainty, and then be thinking in terms of, well, where does God fit into this? Like, protect, for example, when a bad thing happens. And people, we, humans forever have struggled with this. The whole book of Job is about the struggle of that. When bad things happen to good people. And, and so if, you, if you've read Job, and I'm, you know, more parts of it, you, you know that Job is struggling with all these bad things that happen, and he was like a good person. He was a believer, and he worshipped, he was in Sunday, uh, he was in church every, every Sunday, well, Saturday, and, uh, and he, he, you know, he, he would worry about his kids' spirituality, and he would offer sacrifices for them if they messed up. He really was a, he was like the good guy, and he was also very wealthy. I mean, he was obviously a good businessman. And then they, the, the story is that he loses it all, and it's not because he did anything wrong. And so then he loses everything, and then he has these friends come, and these friends come, and so-called friends, and they come and they, they talk to him, their lousy bedside manner, let me tell you, right? But they come to him, and they reveal to him kind of what the philosophies of the day were about how do we make sense of it when bad things happen to good people. And so one person said, well, it's clear what happened here, Job, is you have messed up. You did something wrong. It was something either in your childhood or something later in life or whatever it was. And now God is angry with you. And so now this is his way of teaching you a lesson. Well, there's a lot of people today that believe the same thing, right? And from a human perspective, it kind of makes sense, right? Got to pay the piper. You make your bed, you have to what? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it works. And so sometimes we take that same thinking and we put it on top of God and we say, well, that must be how it is with God too. Is that predestination? Now, why do you have to bring that in? <laughs> because I was raised a Presbyterian. So since you're a Presbyterian background, the hyphen's in there. We know where Lutheran is and Presbyterian. Okay. Yeah, but, uh, and that will be a wonderful question to ask in the spring sometime when we get to that. But actually, it goes to that same issue. Well, then, is it, did God predetermine it, right? If you'll hang on to that question, because there will be a reference later to Judas. And when the reference is to Judas, it sort of brings up this idea that it was all programmed ahead of time, and maybe he didn't really have a choice. So we'll have fun with that one, won't we? Yeah. I think I'll be away at my spiritual... It'll be March 8th. We're gonna... I, I know how to time this lesson where I can throw in all kinds of stuff, and then on March 8th, you know, I'm in March, remember, I go away on my spirituality retreat. Remember that, okay. <laughs> And so John will be teaching the class then. So, yeah, I think I can work it out perfectly for you to have to deal with that. That would be wonderful. Thank you, John, for volunteering. That was excellent. Yeah. 
All right. People ask, why do bad things happen to good people? I heard someone say the better question is, why does God allow good things to happen to sinners? Yeah, grace. So the deal with the blueprint part, so here's kind of where I go with it. I'm giving you Jim Adi stuff now. Hopefully it's biblical. <laughs> is I really take a lot of comfort in Romans 8, 28. For we know that in all things God does what? Works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because you see what that means is to me is you can mess it up pretty bad. You can make the wrong decision. And some of the decisions you make can have, and sometimes do, have life, lifetime consequences. Now, some of them are just a uh, consequence in the moment. But there's some decisions that you can make that could be um, catastrophic, or at least in the consequences could be. So what do you do with that, see? Do you beat yourself up and say, oh, if only I'd done it God's way. Well, if only I knew what God's way was. And so now I'm going to live in the fear that I can't take another step because if I do, I might be doing this direction and God wanted me to go this direction. The problem is he didn't tell me to go this direction. He said, trust me, so I went this direction. And then it was the wrong this direction. See, what kind of life is that? Oh, it's an awful life. And so Romans 8.28 says what? I will go this direction, and if it turns out that that wasn't the right one or didn't fit with what God's plan was, he'll let me know, and he'll work it out. And see, then I don't have to live in the fear or the guilt or the shame of second-guessing myself, which I do enough of anyway. But, but I don't have to do that spiritually because Romans 8.28 says, you're trying to be God if you're going to try to make all the good happen out of the stupid stuff you do. Okay, then I'm going to, with courage and boldly, in my own introverted way, right, I'm going to do that. And then trust. Maybe some good things will come out of it. Maybe some things will come that are good later. And maybe I'll get whacked on the side of the head because, you know, why'd you do that? Okay, that's still part of the good that will come out of it. Yes? One of the things I took from the purpose-driven life was that our life here on earth is a test, a trust, and a temporary assignment. And my job is my response, praying and working toward a God-pleasing response to those three things. Did you hear what she said? Do you like that? How do you like that? I kind of like that. Yeah. Because then the word response does give you something to hang on to, even in the face of something that you couldn't control, which is mostly other people. Have you discovered that, by the way? Can't discover it. You can't control other people, but you can control your response to other people. It's sort of that idea. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Other, yeah. Well, following that is my favorite, which is, says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. Mm -hmm. And now that God has laid up for me a crown of righteousness in heaven. That's Second Timothy 2, 4, 7, and 8. That's what I want on my tombstone, except I'm not going to have a tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> now, that will be interesting. She said that she wanted that on her tombstone, but she's not going to have a tombstone. So it's like, well, then, I don't know. Should we put a sign up? We could do that. Well, it would take a lot to do that. Yes, it would. I have to tell you. That follows what Marion's saying. Yeah. We all mess up all yeah. our lives. Mm -hmm. It's like Paul said, I fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. So I have to tell you, can I tell you a funny tombstone story and then we'll have to end because i got to go back to work? <laughs> this is hilarious. So my... my uh, uh, seminary roommate, this was senior college and then seminary roommate, is this, he's retired now, but he's a pastor in Wisconsin, so he's this Wisconsin kid, farm kid, his name was Paul Schooneman, Paul Schooneman, okay, anyway, 
He grew up in a big family, and his mom was this great cook. His dad was a farmer, and mom made, you know, did the home cooking, all that kind of thing. Well, every year, she made the best chocolate chip cookies ever that their family and their whole community loved. And so she said, oh, is that clock wrong? Wow. Here, I was going to end us about 20 minutes early, and I didn't even know it was. Who messed with that? Somebody did. Oh, Carl. Oh, rats. Oh, good. Well, I feel better. I feel better. So now I can really stretch the story out totally. Okay, so, so anyway, he, he would, she would make these chocolate chip cookies, and his, the family and the community would always say, oh, give us a recipe. Go, give us a recipe. She said, over my dead body. <laughs> Guess what she put on her tombstone? On the front of it, it has her name and the date and all that stuff, and it says, over my dead body. And then you go to the other side, and the recipe is on the... Oh, my gosh, I love that. I love that. The blessed Mrs. Schooneman. Oh, my gosh, that is so hilarious. So, so anyway, that, I hope that's not too sacrilegious, because that is hilarious. You have to admit that. Yeah. I want to tag on to what Marion said because the other thing is, a lot of times people say God's plan. Okay, that's a blow-off answer. Okay, God's plan is a blow-off answer. Because, you know, when something happens and you're like, well, it's according to God's plan. Yeah. But the other thing is, things happen to you... Okay, Carl, can you hang on to that? Because Carl is entertaining us over there <laughs> with the clock. And I, it, is it not working? Is it just not a working clock? Here, let me... Here, I'll just take it. Yeah, let's frisbee it around the room. Let's do that. So have we decided that this works, or do we know if this works? 1031? Oh, okay, well, it's working right now. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll put it right here. How about that? And then you all can be nervous for me about what time it is, okay? I have no idea what the people listening to the podcast are going to think about all this. You know, who knows? They'll say, man, they have a good time in there. Yeah. Okay, now, now say it a little bit more. So the thing about it is things happen to you. Things happen to me. And you respond. Yes, my response. Okay. And people are watching you. Mm. So the bad thing that happened to you yep. and the way you handled it yep. may bless someone and you may never know about it. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a certain amount of uncertainty involved in that. Yeah. And you have to walk trusting God, you know? Yeah. And and we're not gonna know it all. <laughs> it's just not gonna happen. I know. Sometimes we think that the greater comfort and confidence comes from knowing. And I think to some degree, I mean intellectually knowing, and so I think to some degree in societies where education is valued, which is a good thing, but sometimes what can happen then is that people say what they'll say, and you maybe have heard people say this, is, well, you know, I just am not going to feel all that good until I know the future or until I know what will happen, or until I know, like, how do I know that I'm really going to make the right decision? So if only I could know if it's the right decision, well, then I can make the right decision. And so then there's this kind of, kind of paralysis that can kick in that says, well, I, I just can't take that step because how do I know that the ice is really thick enough to support me? And what if I step on it and I thought it was thick and then the ice broke and I fell through? So then this idea, this paralysis kicks in and it says, well, then I'm just going to kind of do this. That's a, we understand it, okay? I'm not saying bad, bad person for thinking that way. I'm just saying that what happens then is you're stuck, is you're stuck. And so the comfort that comes from faith which is trusting in something. It's not just trusting in, oh, I hope things work out, or, oh, you know, there's a silver lining in every cloud. You know, all this stupid stuff people say. It's not, it's not intended to be stupid, but it's, it doesn't give you any real grounding. It doesn't give you any real thing to hang on to. But if you hang on in faith to Jesus, 
who's proven it. See, he's come through. He's, he, 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 he didn't just dr drop the ball. He carried the ball to the cross. And then God raised him up on the third day. And so, see, when we hang on to that, then with confidence I can say, well, okay, the ice might be thin. I'm, I'm going to make the best decision. I'm going to do the best I can. It might blow up in my face. And so I think to some degree we're able to do that better and more confidently if we don't try to do it alone. True? I think if we lean on each other a little bit more. And it's, it's great to be somebody who's got, you know, individualism and, you know, sort of, I'm my own person and I can do it, that sort of stuff. That's okay. But temper that with those times in life when you're really wrestling and struggling, reach out. Or when you see someone who is, you reach out to them. And it, what happens when that happens is that we shift in our thinking from... I can't do anything until I know to, well, it, as long as I know that somebody's with me, I can do it. And that way, if I fall through the ice, somebody's there to grab me. Right? And he can walk on water, too. And he can walk on water. That's right. That's right. Okay? Does that make sense? So I'm, I'm stretching the lesson out, John, so that we can... Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I'll... Oh, and you're going to add to it. You'll add to your own misery here. Okay, go ahead. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father is sent me. He draws him. Yeah. Did the Father draw all men and some men have used their free will to reject, or did he not draw some? John, 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 John. Okay, okay, here we go. We're going to be throwing Bible passages at each other, so see this one, right? Okay. So, uh, what, is it, what does the Bible say about God? He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That sort of suggests that the gospel goes out everywhere. But why I'm curious what's behind your question. We've had, I've had this discussion in the, I've got a Tuesday morning neighborhood Bible study, okay? And we've got a gentleman who is really struggling. He, he's, he's a Christian and he's, he's strong. He keeps wondering why... People like Hitler and other things, you know, why does that even exist? And his issue is, if God really drew us all, why, why do these things happen? Yeah. And I'm still struggling trying to tell him something other than have faith, and that faith is a gift. Uh, he, he pretty much understands that faith is a gift from God. But is it a gift that not all men got? Well, remember the the uh, parable that Jesus told of the soils. The sower sows the seed. Jesus sows the seed. The word goes out. The gospel goes out to everybody. But it does fall on hearts that are receptive as well as hearts that are not receptive or hearts that get excited about it initially, but then they don't sustain it. They don't stay in it. And then troubles of the world, the rocks and the thorns, that sort of stuff, come along or the worries of life come along and grip that person's heart. And that person says, no, faith, not for me, that I'm going to be in control of these things and I'm going to take care of them. So maybe that parable would offer a little bit of a sense of that, again, seen in the context that God wants everybody in. And he is darn patient about it. Have you noticed that? I mean, you could go your whole life rejecting him. And then at the very last second of your breath, you could say, do over and come to faith. And he would say what? Welcome. And, you know, it's that story of the workers in the vineyard, you know. It's probably a good thing that we don't know how often that happens. Because if we did, we'd probably get resentful of, you know, well, how come that guy gets in? He let, look at the life he led. Gee whiz, you know. But that's the nature of God's grace, isn't it? It's not selective in the sense of saying, well, if you were a good Lutheran your whole life, then you get in. But if you weren't and you waited till the last minute, then you're not. See, a heart of love doesn't operate that way. And we get a little uppity about it, but we, then we forget that, you know, there but by the grace of God, 
go you and me. Now, uh, hear me. I'm not recommending you wait till the 11th hour. Okay, I, I'm, I'm not. I want to say that right up front. Okay, I'm glad that we're not. Because you think about what your life would be without Jesus versus what it is with Jesus. Yeah. Well, the point you just made is when you go along and you think people have the opinion that, oh, you didn't believe until the last second, so you had this wonderful life over what I had to live because I, you know, people observe Christians and have this opinion that they have to sacrifice everything in order to be a Christian. Right. And so they haven't really lived the life of freedom, doing what you want, all that. Right. Like that life was better than the life I would have lived. Yeah. That is a misconception. And then it's the other argument for what you're saying is that you never know when your life's going to end. That's so right. You can't wait till the last second. That's right. And some people are willing to roll that dice, right? Well, I'll just wait. Yeah, Yvonne. Um, I had a question. Is there a significance, like on Part B and in a Luther quote, you um, you say the Holy Spirit serves the interest and. In Luther says the Holy Spirit is called, but the scripture in 43 says the Father, like a different person of the Trinity. Why? why? She's asking if there's significance. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to say it. Okay. Probably not as good as you did, but tell me if I didn't goof it up, okay? What she's asking is what the significance is of that. The, that the father, the mention of the word father, right? Is that what you're asking? Is why does it say father and doesn't say Holy Spirit? Is that, is that what you mean? Well, yeah, you say God the Holy Spirit later in your notes and also, you know, in Luther's part. He says Holy Spirit. He says God the Father. Yeah, okay. So I think in some sense, you know, again, remembering what, who Jesus is talking to. The Jewish, the Jewish audience would have known that there was this fa Father, God the Father is creator, maker of heaven and earth, all the, that kind of thing, okay? And then he would have been articulating himself as the Son. But I don't think necessarily that the people fully understood the idea of the Holy Spirit and that their understanding of the Trinity probably wasn't as full as ours is, all right? Even though at Jesus' baptism the Holy Spirit is mentioned, right? Okay, it comes down as a dove, all right? But, but at the, in terms of the Jewish understanding of what, what, what consisted of God, you have, you know, the Father. That was the main thing. And here Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God. Well, that would blow them away. I don't know necessarily that they had a grasp of Holy Spirit. That came later, certainly in... Uh, Paul's letters, there's lots about the Holy Spirit. So I think that that's probably, and then Luther, you know, he's Middle Ages. So, you know, again, it's, it's building on that. I, I, I w that's how I would sort of answer that. Bob, you have some thoughts on that? Well, your Jewish view is that the Father is one, there is no Trinity. Right. And uh, when I read this, when he says he draws him, the Father uses the Holy Spirit to draw you. And the word draw is a Greek word that also means to drag or compel. Hmm. So, it is not <laughs> so there you go. I love that. That's awesome. You know, have you ever felt like God was dragging you through life? That sort of suggests the uh, kicking and screaming on my part and loving, uh, whacking me on the side of the head on his part. Never kicking and screaming because he changes what you want. Yeah. Well, eventually, yeah, all right. Although I would say at times, uh, I sort of go back to my sinful nature roots, you know, and kind of go there, okay. All right, well, let's close with prayer because I got to go back to work, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together and thank you for the, the way that your word is speaking to us in ways that, that really cause us to think more deeply about where do we find that sense of security in life? Does it come from knowing the answer? Does it come from knowing how things are going to work out? Does it come from knowing what's the right step to take? Or is it just simply that our comfort and confidence comes from the presence of you in our lives, 
speaking to us and working in our hearts through the Word. Ultimately, Lord, that's the struggle we have. And we live in a world today where everybody kind of wants to know, give me the answer so I know what to do. That's such a fearful life, Lord. So I pray for each one of us here today that as we go our separate ways, as we go home or we go to work tomorrow, we do all the stuff that we're doing to go to school, whatever it might be, that we have the opportunity to face the unknown and to face uncertainty with this certainty that comes from your promises. Romans 8, 28 being one of them. But the biggest certainty that we have is that we are your beloved. You've called us to be your own. You'd never change your mind about that. And that that gives the courage and boldness that we need to live each day in faith. Watch over us, dear Lord, until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone, or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.